0: Farhad, welcome to the podcast. Now, you're an economic geologist, right? What is that? What does that mean?
1: Well, economic geology is uh, one of the field of geology. As you know, geology has many diverse uh, fields of study. Economic geology is one of them. And it deals with uh, with materials in earth environment that can be used for economic or industrial purposes, such as metals that, uh, that we use for industry. So, it deals with uh, identifying how these materials form in Earth, how we can uh, find them or discover them, uh, as well as how can we also work with a mining engineers to mine them. Basically, so it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, basically mostly dealing with natural resources.
0: Excellent. That's going to be really important in the coming years, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
0: Now, in this podcast, we aim to meet people at various stages in their career. Um, at what stage in your career would you say you're at?
1: Well, I'm kind of uh, would say meet towards a little bit more than meet. So so I, I, I I've been working uh, uh, as a researcher for for several years so I have more or less you know very well identified my, my interest and kind of very focused on a specific work that I'm doing now so
0: and uh, what did you study to get up to this point?
1: well uh, you know I started uh, you know from geology you know background uh, background uh, geology you know, uh, Doing the bachelor degree in in geology, and then uh, uh, continuing to m- study more ore deposits, and then focusing on a specific type of ore deposits that I'm currently working. Great. Where did you study? My most um, you mean my research? Oh Where did you do your degrees? Oh, where? Oh, okay. Uh, I did my uh, my undergrad uh, studies back in Iran that's where I originally was born so that's uh, I did my undergrad degree at Ferdowsi University of Mashhad in 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 Iran and then uh, then I then I worked for the Geological Survey of Iran for a couple of years and after that I came to Queen's University at Kingston, Ontario. Did my master in mineral exploration, which is a specific program that they had at that time. And then stayed there and continued for my PhD and did my PhD in economic geology. So that was my uh, my basically uh, study degrees.
0: I'm always curious uh, when people do their studies um, abroad and then come here, uh you must have done a lot of field work in Iran. Um how is field work different there versus here in Canada? I can imagine it's
1: uh fairly different, right? Well, I mean the, the big difference is that in in Canada, uh, a lot of things are covered. There are lots of trees. You know, back in Iran it's mostly desert. And uh, especially even now, but especially when I was working there, it was m- you know mostly by trucks or walking in in the field. so I we didn't have you know helicopters you know as in BC, you know uh, you know nowadays, especially some ar- remote areas, you don't have any other choice than going there by 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 helicopter. so it's mostly you know the field work, the field environment is mostly mostly desert environment or so, or you know, rocks with no, there is no vegetation, as well as, you know, type of the field work you are, you have to work for on your own, basically, and go, go for a long, long day, basically.
0: I can imagine that the climate would be very- And hot, definitely. <laughs> very <different. laughs> Yeah, definitely, very yeah. lately it's been quite hot here in the summer. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Uh, why geology? What drew you to the field?
1: Well, I guess uh, it it comes back, you know. I would say my first experience with the geology was the first course I took at the university, physical geology, and and that maybe changed uh, changed my path and basically made what I am today. And that that's maybe a lesson for for everybody and that geology course uh, was really interesting and uh, the the person who was teaching that course was a very nice guy he i remember he brings a piece of rock and shows us and asks us what is this rock you know and we have to figure out is it sedimentary igneous and then uh, metamorphic rock and he asks okay what does it mean you know and how where where this rock has formed and we have to look at the rocks and make uh, some you know explanation and And the interesting part of that course was at the end of that course, the first year course, we had a one day field trip. So he took us outside the town and he showed us some rocks and we were collecting rocks. I remember I was the last person going back to the bus for the next stop. So that was really, I was really excited going, especially for the field experience. And I was so excited, even though. The term has finished, and I'm supposed to go back home for, for a visit for the break. I convinced, I remember I convinced my friend, let's go next weekend. And because I wasn't satisfied with that one day, let's go next weekend and look at more some rocks. And we kind of figured out there is a bus going to a cemetery out of town, and that was a bus that goes closest to the field site. So we plan to go on Friday because Friday is like weekend there. So Friday early morning, I remember I went to the bus stop and I was waiting for my friend. He didn't show up, <laughs> so I I said I have to go. So I, I went alone, went to the cemetery, and then walked to the field, this plane, and then walked towards that uh, little hill mountain. Look at the rocks, and I I that that memory remains in my mind because I had my hammer, which. I made myself. That's a different story. I made my first hammer myself with a piece of piece of iron and handle, and I was banging at the rock and pretending that I'm scientist. You know, I looking at the rocks, breaking the rocks for the first, you know, my experience and trying to make some observations. So, a- answering that your question, I would say maybe rocks and the passion for rocks and some good teachers that i had yeah that uh, that brought me today
0: it's amazing how many of our scientists say that they're just pretending to be scientists but um that's how you get started and that's how you make real science <laughs> what were you going to go into before you w- went into geology
1: well when i was in high school i i would say i i wasn't most like a like a m- I wasn't much interested in math and physics, these sort of things. I was mostly interested in natural sciences, like uh, biology and geology were my most interest. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, to go to biology and become a doctor or a physician or the anti-environment or become a, you know, going to geology rocks. But the destiny and that course made me play the role. So I finally chose to become geologist.
0: You went into the biology of Earth.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> You're still a doctor, just an Earth doctor.
1: Yeah, that's that's as good as yeah. can be, yeah.
0: Now, I find that most careers can be a bit uh, circuitous. Um, do you find that your career was very linear and you ended up exactly where you thought you would end up? Or um, did you t- take any meandering paths?
1: I would say it's more... I- I would say it was mostly the same path that I was going. The only thing that happened, it become narrower and more focused as I progress towards, you know, higher degree and more focused. So I, I, I focus my research from ore deposit to a specific type of ore deposits and then looking at a specific aspect of that deposit, deposit type. And I think that's uh, that's. A lot of people say it's interest. That's true, but you know, as you know, it's in when you do research. That's a necessity. You cannot be looking at everything because you don't have time. You have to have to focus on, on on something, which which interests me. But I have to say that you know, even though even though I'm focused on a specific. Thing and doing most spending most of my time on research on that, I have this broad interest on in geology as well. I I I kept that, you know, when I look at the rock with fossils or anything, you know, earthquake or anything like that, so I, I try to give attention. And and I have to say that, you know, one of my interests going to some seminars or gathering or conferences, like GSA. If I go to GSA, of course I look at the a few talks related to my research, but if I have free time, I go to a talk on paleontology or, you know, environmental, you know, aspect of the geology, and I, I enjoy, you know, listening to those things as well. We're all kids when
0: it comes to paleontology; we can't resist dinosaurs. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: And uh, what kind of ore do you
1: specialize in? I'm I'm working on uh, uh, mostly copper deposits. So there are a specific type of deposits they call porphyry copper deposit because they, the copper forms with a rock that has porphyritic texture. So that's the, that's the rock that... Uh, that's. The, the porphyry is a rock texture that you have phenocryst, like a feldspar phenocryst. Uh, that uh, they are coarse, coarser, and in a grand mass which is finer grain. So that that texture is called porphyry.
0: Is it a sedimentary rock or igneous?
1: No, it's it's igneous rock. So it's it's igneous rock, uh, uh, like uh, your yeah, yeah, granite, for example, or granodiorite or diorite. These things can have fine grain or coarse grain or mixing between the porphyry. Is it more texture. intrusive igneous or? Mostly, yes,
0: intrusive.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: We're getting to the bounds of my geological knowledge. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that means that it cooled down very slowly, right? Well, it's it's actually the question that you're asking very, is very interesting because it may be related to the temperature, but a lot of uh, people are asking, you know, that the porphyry texture may also be related to the uh, fluid-rich texture of the magma that causes that porphyritic texture as well. Okay. So there might be several factors that causes that 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 uh, that porphyry texture.
0: Okay, I think I understand. Yeah. <laughs> um, what are you, what are some of the projects you're working on right now?
1: I'm mostly working on uh, uh, various techniques that. Uh, can be used to vector towards these porphyry copper deposits. As you know, the, the our aim is basically to help exploration industry to find these copper deposits. And the copper deposit, a lot of them have been discovered, those that were easy to discover, they had odd crops closer to the surface, they've been already discovered. So now it's become more challenging because the the remaining deposit may not be as easy as the one have been discovered in the past. So they they might be covered, they might be at some depth, the, the evidence of mineralization may be not as easy to identify. So we are trying to, here at the MDRU Mineral Deposit Research Unit at the UBC, we are trying, with collaboration with the industry, to develop various techniques that can be used vectoring Towards those mineralization and making the drilling more successful,
0: is that things like um, ground penetrating
1: radar or-, or that that is part of it. So that's mostly the geophysical techniques that can be used. That's an that's an, is an important important part of the tools toolset that mineral industry is using but my specialty is mostly geochemical and mineralogical techniques so i'm i'm mostly using using those tools uh, for exploration
0: oh thank goodness i was just asking a question with some buzz terms that yeah. i've heard used in this context <laughs> before i didn't know if no no that's uh, that's very important yeah <laughs> i didn't know what i was asking um <laughs> Have you made any major discoveries in the past that you'd care to share?
1: Well, I'm, I'm not sure if we can say discoveries, but I've made some interesting observations that are useful for uh, for exploration, and uh, I can remember a, a few of them. But one of them which can come to my mind now is the the mineral that were you, you were showing me just before, before the interview, and that apatite. So the apatite, as you know, can form in various environments in igneous rock, in sedimentary rock, in various rock that occurs. And actually, one day I was uh, working with a cathodal luminescence microscope just in the third floor here, and it's uh, the, that's a microscope that has an electron beam. So electron beam hits hits your mineral, and mineral start to luminescence. So the mineral that in under normal light, you see them colorless. When it's been hit by electron, electron causes some excitation and it start luminescence. And I noticed that uh, the appetite that I'm looking at rocks from a porphyry deposit has different luminescence colors. Some of them are yellow, some of them are green, some of them have no luminescence or gray luminescence. And th- the other interesting thing was that I could see the texture of the mineral much better under this luminescence light. And then the, the longest story, making short, is that we realized that this texture and this luminescence uh, uh, color of the apatite can be related to the ore deposits. In other words, you can pick up one of the apatite you have in your collection here, and I can tell you if is it coming from the porphyry copper deposit or not. And that become an important tool for exploration because in a lot of areas that the ore deposit, as I said, they are at deeper level or covered by sediments. If we can find that little, you know, 200 or 300 micron apatite grain and look at it under the CL and see evidence uh, that it's sourced from a porphyry copper deposit, that makes that area more interesting for exploration company to look for to find the source of that appetite. So that was one of the things. And then later, you know, we we developed that project. Uh, we looked at other minerals like titanite, zircon, other minerals, but collectively, we call these minerals porphyry indicator minerals or PIMS. So that PIMS project has been running at MDRU for, for several years and a uh, similar type of research have been done, you know, in other universities, other parts of the world. So that that become a kind of, uh, I, I would say, interesting project for many scientists. So are these minerals like uh, absorbing some of the properties of the
0: surrounding rock and then being transported upward?
1: It's They are mostly reflecting the... The, the, the ore deposit, like this copper deposit, as you say, they are forming a, the, in a, the, the porphyry rock that you were asking question, they are coming from a magma, so the magma somewhere in there, and the, and, and, and the magma uh, at some stage develops fluids, we call them hydrothermal fluids, and those fluids are the ones that uh, carry the copper and concentrate copper and then make ore deposits. So those, those hydrothermal fluids interact with apatite, and the apatite has a signature of that hydrothermal fluid. And the chemistry and texture of the apatite can go back. We can link the chemistry and texture of the apatite to the magma source, composition of the magma. So what type of the magma was that? Was the magma sulfur rich? Was that magma... uh, water reach, as well as the chemistry of the hydrothermal fluid. So we link the mineral with its source, which is magma, as well as the fluid which was interacting with them.
0: It's kind of like how a piece of bread can absorb the smell of a a refrigerator, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) that's a very good analogy. (laughs) Now, one of my favorite parts of this uh, interview series has been hearing about um, field stories. Uh, you mentioned one, your formative field story. Um, I've never gone to the field myself, but it sounds like it's this magical place where um, wonderful things go wrong and uh, <laughs> uh, comical things go right. Um, do you have any fun field stories that you'd care to share?
1: Yeah, you know, as I said, one of the fun things about the geology is the field aspect of it. You go to the field and, you know, in the environment, especially in BC in Canada, it's a uh, it's a very wild and you know natural environment. Eco. I, I I remember a couple of years ago we had a graduate student, and uh, I went with her to the field, and I was doing a little bit of my own field work, and she was helping her as well on her sampling. We were working uh, in an old around the old mine, and. <laughs> Uh, I was maybe a couple of meters distance from her, so very close to each other. She was uh, originally from South America, so her native language was Spanish, but of course both of us speak English. (laughs) And while I was looking at the rock and suddenly I realized he's talking, he was, she she looked very scared and she was talking with me in Spanish. (laughs) And I looked at her and said, why is she talking so seriously? And why is she so scared of talking in Spanish with me? And then she was showing at distance something, and I realized she's showing a bear, <laughs> a small black bear. <laughs> and she didn't realize that she's speaking Spanish. And I saw the bear, of course, the bear was at some distance and walked away, and I I watched her walking talking Spanish. And I just started laughing. <laughs> so while I was laughing, then she realized that, you know, she's talking Spanish, and then I started switching <laughs> to English. And then, you know, I I told her that, you know, because she probably saw, she was so scared, you know, and naturally she went to his mother language, talking, <laughs> talking Spanish to me. So that was a memory, interesting memory that I have.
0: How, f- how long ago was that?
1: Oh, uh, that was uh, 2000, uh, 2000, around 2008, I think. Yeah, 2008
0: or nine. I think it's pretty obvious why your research and why your work is important. Um, but I'm not sure people know exactly how important um, mineral exploration is. Would you care to explain why we need minerals so badly in the modern world?
1: Well, because uh, because our life, you know, it depends on a lot of things that we use in everyday life. It depends on uh, uh, on natural resources, especially various type of natural resources, metals, for example. You know, a lot of people say, for example, the, the cell phone that you have, you know, I'm sure you heard. I heard anything from 30 or 40 up to 75 different type of elements are used to making an iPhone, for example. So it's from copper, gold, uh, you know, various type of uh, elements, um, rare earth elements are used in in various things. And also in future, you know, especially relating to my my expertise in copper exploration, you know, the things becoming more electric. uh, it looks like it's it's the future, you know. Electric cars, everything becoming electric, and in order to have that, you need to have copper. Okay, so there is a demand for natural resources, for metals, especially things like like copper in the in the in the future, and that that high demand. You consider that high demand a lot of materials you need and put that next to the fact that a lot of oil deposit easy one have been already discovered so we have two things the demand going up and the exploration becomes more difficult so that's why you know it the industry comes back to us to do the research and ask us show us more effective way that we can find more resources to answer the demand if we don't mine more
0: copper, we're going to have to drill for more oil.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: You clearly enjoy your work. Um, what's the best part about it?
1: Well, I guess uh, the, the best part is the excitement of that. You know, we make some prediction you know, kind of, you know, research uh, things and we, we develop various tools and techniques, but all these tools and techniques come with some sort of uh, predictions. You predict, okay, if if we drill this area or this side or this part of the belt or this part of the BC, there is more possibility to, to find copper. And then... The excitement is that once uh, things become successful and you see that your tools, your techniques are actually working for, for, for industry, that that creates a lot of excitement.
0: <laughs> you make it sound like, um, like sport almost. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yeah.
0: Now, of course, not everything is sunshine and roses, so I'll ask the opposite question. Uh, what's the worst
1: or the most challenging part of your work? Well, the... The most challenging part, I think, the size aspect of our deposit. I mean, I if I want to explain it, I I remember when I go to the field, my kids they have uh, an important question always for me. Uh, well, first of all, the first one, uh, the first one that they always say that I go vacation <laughs> and uh, I don't take them with. Me myself for vacation. so I have hard time explaining that this is actually work, not vacation. <laughs> but this, the most important question is that I, I come back from the field and my kids ask me if I, if I found gold. <laughs> right? Yeah I say anyway. And I always have difficult time because we go and look at the rock maybe has a little bit of gold, but is that good enough? And that's the story of the key story of mineral exploration is that ore deposits are very rare phenomenon. You know, in oil, economic ore deposits are not common. But mineralization, like a little bit copper, a little bit, you know, other metals are not uncommon. You can go to a, a lot of mountains and hills, you see a little bit evidence of sulfide. So how do you know? That mineralization, how big it is? Is it a small, very small, medium size, big, giant deposit? And that's the that's the key question that the industry likes to know. And, I, and in in my opinion, that's not just in ore deposit. A lot of part of the geology phenomenon, they have this size aspect. I, I remember a couple of years ago some seismologists from USGS, and they, they, they had this kind of documentary, and they were asking her that if she can predict earthquake. And she said, uh, even, even if there is a tool that you can predict the earthquake, that's not the key difficulty. The key difficulty is that if you can predict how big it is, the earthquake. Because even, you know, in Vancouver, it's very seismic active. Perhaps every day there is a seismic activity, but nobody realizes it and nobody cares about it. And maybe those small ones are very similar to the big one. And that's the same challenge that we have in ore deposit. A lot of small ore deposits, they look exactly like bigger ones. And the challenge for me and the, my main interest uh, and ambition in my research is that find the tools that we can identify various size of the ore deposits. So that's the most challenging part of my research, if you like.
0: That sounds very stressful. Um, you make your prediction and you hope that it pans out, but um, you don't know if, you know, two feet down, that ore is going to change into a different kind of rock with less valuable minerals. Yeah,
1: exactly. But that that prediction, you know, is is important. And it's important to make that prediction as early as possible. So you the industry doesn't spend a lot of money on drilling and exploring something that has less value. And and, I, and I, I'm not, uh, you know, it's challenging, but I think uh, we have some ideas and we have some, uh, you know, avenues that are interesting. And that's perhaps one of the things I'd like to focus for, for the rest of my research. And you don't want to tear
0: up the environment unless it's worth it.
1: Um, yeah, exactly.
0: I'm curious. Um, do you identify as belonging to any underrepresented communities and if so has that affected your uh, studies or your career?
1: Not really. I mean the in, in mural industry is a diverse uh, group of people working working together. For example, in BC a lot of uh, native people, people from various parts of the world. And because because mural exploration in the industry is pretty much worldwide, you know. If if you want to go to work in Peru, perhaps a lot of Peruvian geologists will work with you. That's that's normal. So it's it's in fact you know in mineral exploration is common to work with a diverse people from different background, different culture, different uh, you know communities. I think that's the one of the benefit that if anybody comes and work in mineral exploration exploration or economic geology have the benefit to work with a large number of group from different parts of the world.
0: You're exploring not just the earth physically but also culturally.
1: Yes, exactly. And and the the various beauty of the, you know, natural environment of the of the earth. You go various type of the world from northern British Columbia to desert in Chile, you know, to uh to mountains in uh, you know, Turkey for example. So Various part of the world, yeah. That's 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 a, one of the beauty of being geology, I think. Have you had a favorite place to explore? Well, I guess uh, that might be biased, but that for me, no place is like back home. You know, in Iran, you know that that that. That's what I said the memory that I told you at the beginning. That memory that I have from deserts, or it's first of all when I say desert, it's not always like a desert. It's mostly hills and lots of mountains, these sort of things. And, you know, I would say maybe my one of my favorite places back home. Now, one thing that's impacted
0: all of us, no matter where we are in the world, has been the pandemic. Uh, has the pandemic affected your work? And
1: have you been able to continue your work? A little bit. Uh, I mean, during the first summer of the pandemic, uh, I couldn't travel internationally, but I was able to travel within B.C., so I had the opportunity to do some field work in BC uh, the first summer. And the last summer, I was able to, 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 for example, to go to Kazakhstan and do a little bit working in Kazakhstan. So <laughs> it was a little bit, you know, you have to do tests and traveling, these sort of things, and a little bit COVID, you know, management thing. But, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think I was managed to do some field work during the pandemic, yeah. And the good thing is that You know, then I really enjoyed even twice because because you are in the office, you can't go anywhere, and then you go to a desert or to the field, and then you enjoy more than, you know, ever being out.
0: (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? (laughs) You've made economic geology sound really enticing. So, if anyone's listening and they want to follow in your footsteps, uh, what courses or background
1: or experience would you recommend they pursue uh, to follow you? Yeah, I think that's an important question. I would say, I would say, Regardless of uh, what type of ore deposit or what environment, because, you know, economic geology, you can work in a diverse type of ore deposits uh, from nickel, copper, gold, various type of metals, even non-ferrous metals and materials. But I would say uh, mineralogy, in my opinion, is the fundamental. If you want to be a successful explorer, successful ore deposit, person, economic geologist, you need to know mineralogy very well. So mineralogy is the fundamental course. Go to the field, pick up a rock, and find that little bit zuniite or andalusite or what, whatever, you know, alunite, that a little bit mineral. It may not be abundant. It might be a little bit, and it may not be a common mineral in that, but that might be the mineral that tells you, okay, you have to stay here and look more. There might be copper here. So, mineralogy is key. And the other aspect that I would suggest is that field experience, going to the field and have a mapping experience. You know, it doesn't matter if it's what type of the rock. It's just general mapping experience is key for for anybody who wants to come to this uh, uh, this uh, this Area of study, mineralogy and field mapping, I would be coming, are two fundamental things to focus on. You always
0: remember your first mineral, right? I remember um, cleaning out an old museum that I used to work at, and the first mineral I completely identified on my own was uh, sodalite. I'm not sure if it's actually a mineral or if it's a rock, but uh, it has a special place in my heart. What was your, your first
1: one? I think I, the first mineral that got my attention they, during that my first uh, field was uh, uh, gypsum, <laughs> crystals of gypsum. And that shiny gypsum mineral, crystal of gypsum that I saw, and you could, you could scratch them, in fact. <laughs> that was very nice, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Good choice.
0: <laughs> now, you've been really inspiring today. Uh, who inspired you when you were getting started?
1: Well, a lot of people during my career have in inspired me. I would say, I would say, my teachers, uh, particularly two of them, were very inspiring for me. The first one was my by mineralogy and economic geology teacher when I was undergrad. His name is uh, Doctor Mohammad Hassan Karimpur. He was really, you know exciting uh, person in terms of uh, inspiring us for ore deposit and uh, mineral exploration. So that, he got me actually to the idea of uh, looking at ore deposits. And then uh, the second one was my PhD supervisor, Dr. Alan Clark. He inspired me to look at porphyry copper deposits. So I learned a lot of things from him. And it's interesting, I would like to say the third person that inspired me was a, a person, a porphyry geologist, his name is Spencer Titley. He passed away a couple of years ago. And it's interesting, I met him only once in the field for one day. But that one day was really important for me. We had a field visit in in Southwest US and we looked at the old mine, copper mine, silver bear, and he showed us various rocks and in that deposits. And at the end of the day, he walks towards the edge of this open pit and looks at the horizon and looks at the distance in deserts. So I remember it was nice and sunny day, and I will look at the distance. And he, he asked the question that he wants to know when he first sees the evidence of this deposit when he's coming from distance. And that that the thing that he said uh, stays in my mind, and he was really a smart person, and basically what he was referring at, at was that when you see the footprint of this ore deposit from several kilometers. So that was very inspiring for me. So my teachers and this person have had really you know influenced me even though the third one, the third person was only one day.
0: That's a very cinematic memory. (laughs) I can see it in in my mind.
1: Uh, Do you have students in your lab? I had, you know, one of the things at the MGR and I enjoy most is that working with the students. So we... I had uh, I worked with uh, several uh, masters and PhD students uh, you know work with them uh, and uh, basically some mentored some of them and uh, helped them with field work and uh, these sort of things. and I, and I, I, I have to say I, I learned a lot from from the students that I worked with, had the opportunity to work with them last few years.
0: That's great. It's always good when it's a two-way street. What do you look for when you choose your students?
1: I think you know if students have uh, have really interest uh, spending time in the field and uh, really enjoying looking looking at rocks, and uh, I think that's uh, that's one of the key thing uh, that I would like to see to see to see with the students. But also the other thing is that the students that have questions uh, and uh, and ask question about uh, about the rocks and ask question about how these rocks have formed, how the ore deposit have 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 formed. So, uh, students that uh, that would like to find new things, and I think that's that's the key thing that the. Uh, uh that is important in, in in our research we have to look at things in in from different angle and some of the students can do that better
0: that's something i really love about seasoned geologists is they can look at a rock and it tells a whole story about the um the history of the earth and what that rock's been through to
1: become what it is right now yeah and as as you perfectly said it you know uh, we, we all we have is a piece of rock or a thin section or a or a chemical analysis of the rock or whatever property you choose, and then from that you have to basically read the history and figure out where it has formed in what environment, what temperature, pressure, chemistry—all these sort of things you have to make interpretation. So that that reading the history from the rock is basically most you know. Most of the thing that we do is try trying to figure out that.
0: Now, that's all about looking at a rock's history. I want to look to your future. Uh, You mentioned that you're about midway through your career. What would you like to have as your legacy when you retire?
1: Well, I I guess I don't like really to retire. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Most of you all just don't. Yeah,
1: so... I, I, I like, you know, to see my, my research and uh, the method and techniques that I'm trying trying to develop uh, be used uh, successfully in exploration. And I would like to see that uh, exploration in- industry uses some of my method and techniques and uh, uh, discover, you know, new copper deposits so I can contribute to the discovery of all deposits. That makes me, me satisfied.
0: That's great, that's very holistic. You want your work to live on and contribute to humanity. Mm. I want you to take a broader look now. Um, I find that uh, the world is changing very quickly these days and the field that a person enters at the beginning of their career can be completely different by the time that they retire. Where do you see economic geology going in the future? And what advice do you have for young people to anticipate some of those changes?
1: Well, I think uh, the way that uh, mineral exploration worked maybe 30 years ago will be different in 30 years from now. So things have changed. And as as I said, the, the things become more difficult to explore. And... Uh, The thing that I would like for maybe next generation to keep in mind that uh, still they need those traditional uh, experience or knowledge. As I mentioned, mineralogy and uh, field experience and ability to interpret rocks, those are the key. And I think those remains regardless a fundamental thing for anybody who wants to be successful in this career. But at the same time, the one thing that happens in, in our in our study uh, and in, in the industry is that during the time, a lot of uh, data have been collected. So, there is a lot of data for any environment, any country or any region that they go. There is already a lot of data. So the the, per- the people who want to be s- successful more, they need to have the more, uh, I would say, sophist- not sophisticated, the more newer tools, if you like, such as uh, machine learning, for example, or things similar to that, that you have to go to an area and look at the rock, but there is already a lot of data available and you have very short amount of time to make a decision. So in order to analyze those data, you need to have newer tools to look at those data and make use of those data as well. So the the new generation of the geologists, they have to have the traditional methods of mineralogy, those sort of things, as well as newer methods of things. And if they have these both, they can be successful. If they miss the old, one of them, that's that will not work. I
0: love that answer. It's very mature. Um, you have to learn the basics, but you also have to be a part of the future. That's perfect. Well, Far, those are all the questions I have for you for today. Is there anything that I missed or anything you want to add before I let you go?
1: Thank you. I really enjoyed talking with you, and uh, you know, it was my pleasure uh, discussing things with you and uh, having me here.
0: Thank you. Thanks for sharing your knowledge and your passion. I learned a lot, and uh, I'm inspired. <laughs> Thanks for listening to On Earth. On Earth is hosted by me and produced by myself, Kirsten Hodge our editor Mel Woods, and Ollie Beebe designed our logo. On Earth is made possible thanks to the generous support of the Canadian Geological Foundation. For more episodes like this one, please visit our website at pme.ubc.ca slash learn slash podcast or listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week here on Earth.